Let us, uh, our scripture lesson tonight is uh, taken from the Gospel of Luke. Just a couple of verses. Uh, Luke chapter 23, page 1,217, 1,217, Luke 23, 32 to 34. Luke 23, verse 32, there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Beloved of the Lord, I want to focus your attention just on that brief statement of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You may be aware that uh, by looking at the various gospel accounts, the four different gospels, scholars have uh, taken uh, the last sayings of Jesus from the cross. They're not all found in all the Gospels, but between the four Gospels, there are seven sayings of Christ from the cross. And this is generally considered the first of those sayings, this prayer of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's an amazing prayer, because it comes after man had done his worst the foulest crime of human history, the Lord of glory, had come unto his own. And not only did they refuse him a room in the inn when he was born and a room in their hearts when he preached, but they stripped him, they beat him, they pressed a crown of thorns upon his head, they mocked him, they nailed him to the cross. And after they had mocked and ridiculed some more, That's when he prayed this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why? Why would Jesus pray this prayer? Why didn't he breathe out curses and oaths against them who had treated him so ill? Why did he call, why didn't he call down legions of angels to punish them? Why didn't he call down fire from heaven to burn them? Why did he not lift himself up from the cross and personally uh, visit these perpetrators of this foul crime with justice and uh, the justice that they unquestionably deserved? Why did he not visit them in wrath? Why this prayer? Well, I'd like to suggest to you four reasons why he prayed this prayer. First of all, he prayed this prayer because it had been prophesied that he would do so. And in the fulfillment of that prophecy, we see again confirmation that Jesus indeed is the Christ. It was We read that prophecy from Isaiah 53, verse 12. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. While he was bearing their guilt and their sin, while he was suffering for them, He made intercession for transgressors. That is, he made prayer for those who had violated the law. Now, Jesus 
assuredly knew this scripture, and uh, he didn't merely pray it in order to say, aha, you see, I fulfilled the scriptures. There were lots of things that happened that day that he had no control over that were also fulfilled that day, like the dividing of his garments and the piercing of his side and the uh, uh, hanging on a tree, a sign that he is cursed of God and so forth. Uh, there were all kinds of things that happened, and this again is just confirmation that Jesus is the Christ because he fulfills Scripture. The Bible writes, you know, this uh, Isaiah 53 was written almost 700 years before the event. Uh, Psalm 22 that talks about dividing his garments uh, is also uh, goes back even further than that. And these uh, parts of Scripture are evidence that God is the true God. If you read the prophecy of Isaiah from oh, chapter 40 to chapter 50, again and again, God says, I'm the true God. And one of the ways you can know that I'm the true God is because I can tell you in advance what's going to happen. Those aren't the exact words, but uh, uh, again and again, uh, he describes himself as the creator of the heavens and the earth. Who else can do that? And who else can tell you uh, what's going to happen before it happens? And indeed, uh, when we see things happening that were spoken of by the prophets hundreds of years, centuries earlier, we have confirmation that indeed Jesus is the Christ. So one of the reasons he prayed is because it has prophesied that he would do this. But there are more important reasons why he did it. He did it also, secondly, to, to give a most powerful example of what he commands us to do. Uh, we also are commanded to pray for those who despitefully use us. Uh, Peter writes about the exemplary work of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But when you do good and suffer for it, and, uh, but when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And we sometimes skip over this aspect of the death of Christ, that it was exemplary. Uh, we don't emphasize that too much because there are some liberal theologians who say that's all it is, is exemplary. There's nothing else there but an example of how we all ought to make sacrifices for other people. Jesus gives us an example of making sacrifices and we should follow his example. And we say, oh no, there's much more to the atonement than that. He's actually paying for our sins. But although the emphasis is generally on uh, the payment for sin, we shouldn't overlook the fact that Peter says he gave us an example of how to suffer. And when he suffered, he didn't lash out at those who inflicted that suffering on him, but he prayed for them. Peter says uh, in the next chapter, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you, for to this you were called that you might obtain a blessing. And uh, Jesus says in Luke 6, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. 
And Romans 12 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, you know, does that literally mean we have to be nice to people who are bad to us? Well, yes, it does, because that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He was praying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He wasn't lashing out at them. He wasn't reviling them. He wasn't rising off the cross or calling down fire and brimstone upon them. He was praying that they might be forgiven. Blessing those. Praying for those who were hurting him and killing him. He did that and in so doing leaves us an example of how we also are to live our lives. That's another reason why. Uh, Jesus prays this prayer. He prayed it to fulfill Scripture. He prayed it to give us uh, a living illustration of what he expects from us and what he commands us in many other passages of Scripture. But then thirdly, he he also did it to demonstrate how closely uh, he identifies with us when he is hanging on the cross. He wants you to understand that when he's hanging on the cross, he's hanging there as one of us. You know that on several occasions, Jesus said to people, your sins are forgiven. And he did that to show that he was divine and had the authority to forgive sins. And of course, he could have done that from the cross. Instead of saying, Father, forgive them, he could have said, I forgive you your sins. But that would be an exercise of divine right and divine privilege, which he still had when he was on the cross, but he he didn't use it. He he acted as if he wasn't divine. He was, of course, but he he acted like a, a, a purely human person who has to pray to God and ask God to forgive. Because he wants you, when you look at him on the cross, he he wants you to see yourself hanging there, getting or see him taking your place, being you suffering in your place the, sin, the, the punishment that your sins deserve. And so he, he voluntarily lays aside his divine rights and privileges to forgive sins in himself and instead uh, acts as a uh, human being who must beseech this of the Father for other people. So he fulfills scripture, he gives us an example, and uh, he shows that on the cross he's there for us as one of us. But then the fourth reason, and perhaps the most important reason, is he prays this prayer because this is why he has come into the world. He's come into the world so that sinners might be forgiven. For this purpose, he came into the world for this very hour to offer his life as payment for sin, to pay for the sins of his people so that they would not die. Thus, as he offers himself for his people's salvation, he prays that they might receive it. He prayed that those who had sinned against him would have their sins remitted, dismissed, not held against them, not charged with this crime. That's what it means to be forgiven. He prayed this, knowing that it would be accomplished, that in order for it to be accomplished, he would have to suffer and die. 
So he prays this prayer to fulfill scripture. He prays this prayer to give us an example of how we should act when we are uh, persecuted and uh, mistreated. He he does it to uh, demonstrate that he identifies with us on the cross, but he especially prays it because for this purpose he came into the world, that our sins would be forgiven. And so as he offers himself as an atoning sacrifice to make uh, forgiveness uh, uh, to accomplish our salvation, he prays this prayer. But now we have to ask the second question, for whom is he praying? For whom is he praying? Well, we're told there, he says, for they do not know what they do. I'm praying for for them, for these people, these people who don't know what they're doing. Now, how is it that these people who have crucified Jesus don't know what they're doing? <laughs> Surely they know they're crucifying somebody, right? Uh, and they have heard Jesus for three years identify himself as uh, before Abraham was, I am. And so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say, take up your bed and walk. He, he's been demonstrating to them who he is. Uh, talking about God as his father and making himself equal with the father, which incensed them and so forth. Didn't they know that they were crucifying the son of God, the Lord of glory? Well, as a matter of fact, they did. The people who crucified him did not believe him. They knew what he claimed, but they did not believe it. The Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, right from the very beginning, uh, rejected Jesus and all his self-attestations, everything that he said about himself. Uh, Even when they saw his miracles, though they couldn't deny the miracles, they said it was done by the power of uh, the devil and so forth. Uh, they, They never believed that he was the person whom he claimed to be. The crowds uh, wanted to believe that he was the Messiah, but their idea of the Messiah was not a scriptural idea of a Messiah. They wanted only a political liberator, and so their faith in him was faith in an idol, not really in him. And uh, by the end of the Passion Week, the scribes and the Pharisees, who never believed him, in him, uh, convinced the mob, the uh, the crowds, that he wasn't even a good political liberator and that he would cause more problems with Rome than uh, uh, bring any solution to the Roman occupation. And so the crowds also turned on him uh, during that week and joined in crucifying him as a blasphemer, blasphemer, as a, a heretic, as a false messiah, a false prophet, somebody who made outlandish claims and deserved to die. They didn't believe that they were crucifying the Lord of glory. They thought they were crucifying someone pretending to be the Lord of glory or pretending to be the Messiah, but who was not. On Pentecost Sunday, uh, Peter would get up and make a a speech, a sermon. And uh, he says there, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Christ. He's been describing Jesus to them and says, now, you need to know this. The one you crucified is the Lord. He is the Christ. And by the grace of God and the working of the Holy Spirit, the message finally began to sink in. It says in the next verse, Acts 2:37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And of course, what they should do is uh, repent and believe. And then uh, shortly thereafter, when Peter entered the temple and healed a, a lame man, uh, he uh, he comes, uh, he gives another sermon, and he says, uh, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In other words, you didn't know that it really was Jesus the Christ, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, whom you crucified. And uh, uh, he says, uh, Because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, uh, they uh, fulfilled those scriptures by condemning him. So they, they didn't really understand the scriptures, how they pertain to Jesus. They didn't understand who Jesus really was. They, they had sinned in ignorance. And again, he tells them what they ought to do now that their eyes have been opened. You need to repent and believe. Uh, Paul uh, writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood this. He's talking about the gospel, about Jesus Christ. None of the rulers of this under, uh, age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So again, he's saying they didn't recognize him as the Lord of glory. If they had recognized him and truly seen him as the Lord of glory, they never would have crucified him. Paul says of himself, though formerly... I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He says he too acted ignorantly in unbelief because he thought Jesus was a blasphemer. He thought the followers of Jesus were uh, heretics for believing in this Carpenter's son, you know, they, he didn't believe what was said about Jesus. He acted in ignorance. Well, it's for these people whom Jesus is praying. People who acted, did terrible things, but didn't realize against whom they were sinning. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In answer to Jesus' prayer from the cross... 3,000 people repented and believed on Pentecost Sunday. And they were baptized and received assurance that their sins were forgiven, especially the sin of crucifying the Lord of glory. Later on, another 5,000 believed and many priests were converted. Their, Their eyes were opened as the apostles preached the word and the Spirit worked through the word. Their eyes were opened, their hearts were convicted. They repented and believed, and Christ's prayer from the cross is bearing fruit in the lives of his people. Note, however, that the prayer of Jesus, that they would be forgiven, is not 
separated from hearing the gospel, and it's not separated from repenting at hearing the gospel, repenting and believing, and and then uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and so forth, and growing in grace and abiding in the word and so forth, that... uh, that uh, Jesus doesn't just say, Father, forgive them, and all of a sudden they're just forgiven. No, there are means of grace through which that forgiveness comes, and the means of grace are the Word of God and the Spirit of God working through the Word, bringing these people to see their sin and repent and believe. And uh, today, God continues to open the eyes of people to the fact that It is their sin, your sin, for which Jesus died, and that he is indeed the only one who can save you from your sins. Through the preaching of the word and the Holy Spirit, uh, many hearts today have been touched. Your hearts, I trust, have been touched by the word and spirit to convict you that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ and that you're responsible for his death. Your sins put him there. He died to pay for your sins. And as you come to him, uh, believing in him, you can be sure that he has prayed for you. And his prayer has been answered. Your sins have been forgiven. This simple prayer is simply astounding. As Jesus approaches the, the, the climax, the acme of his suffering. The heart of Jesus is not overcome by its rising tide. He thinks of his enemies and of all those who have brought this flood of suffering upon him. He thinks of them. He prays for them, not for justice and retribution, but his love rises above his suffering. He prays for pardon for his enemies. Such love exceeds comprehension, and yet it reveals the source of our redemption and pardon. Jesus paid it all. Jesus died to save sinners. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word of Christ from the cross, this prayer, this simple, simply astounding prayer that uh, reveals the heart of Jesus his love for lost sinners, that while they are inflicting this great misery upon him, even then he prays that they and that we might be forgiven. And we thank you that that prayer has been answered in grace millions of times in the last 2,000 years and continues to be answered in grace as sinners come to see their sin and put their faith in Jesus and receive the assurance that their sins are forgiven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.